want you to maybe think back to a time when you were very quickly set off by someone. Like really, really quickly. Like a fuse was lit and you got mad. This happens to some of us maybe a little more uh, frequently than others. And I know a couple of those seminarians who have lived with me for a couple years would know what would set me off. We won't get into that. But I think if we look at Jesus in the gospel today, we might have maybe a question to ask him. What's the big deal? Why are you so set off? Why are you so angry at Peter? Why did you just call your best friend Satan? Why are you getting so worked up? And Peter's words might seem rather harmless to us. You know, God forbid, Lord, that no such suffering could ever happen to you. But actually, they are quite significant. They are very significant, in fact. So to understand this, we have to look at the context of this passage. So I don't know how well you remember, but last weekend we had Peter's confession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus telling him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And immediately after this passage comes this one. So right after Jesus gives Peter his mission, he talks to his disciples about how he must suffer and how he must die. And it's in that context that Peter, immediately after his confession of faith, comes right back and says, God forbid, Lord, that anything bad should ever happen to you. Peter is expressing a disbelief over the suffering that will one day happen to our Lord. And if anything, he's trying to persuade Jesus not to suffer. And that is why Jesus yells at him, Get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. So why is Peter equated with Satan in this passage? Well, we have to look all throughout the Gospels and realize that in every single time that Satan is tempting Jesus, he is getting, trying to get Jesus to stop suffering, to stop his own suffering, to try to save the world in some other way than suffering. Look back to the three temptations in the desert. Get the, turn those stones into bread. Eat, end the suffering of your fasting, then people will believe you. Or cast yourself off from the temple and let the angels save you. Then people will see this and they will believe in you. Stop the suffering. Or bow down and worship me. Gain your kingdom by political power rather than by suffering. Or maybe we could even look at the cross itself. Those criminals saying, save yourself and us if you are the Christ. Come down from the cross. End the suffering. Save yourself. Or the scribes and the Pharisees, come down and we will believe you. Another temptation to end Jesus' suffering. We'll all believe you. We'll save the world. You just don't have to do it by suffering. All of these passages, including today's, speak a very important truth to us, and that there is no other way that Christ could save the world than by suffering. And every single temptation that Satan placed in Jesus' life was a temptation to get Jesus to try to save the world by some other way than suffering. And so Jesus knew that Satan had gotten a hold of Peter in that very moment to try to get Jesus to not suffer, to at least place a little bit of doubt about the goodness of his suffering in Jesus' mind. So why suffering? Why is suffering the only way that Jesus could save the world? Well, suffering is something that's very uniquely human very unique to us as human beings. Yes, we, every creature on earth can experience physical pain, but human creatures are the only ones who can know that they are suffering. 
Think about that. Human beings are the only creatures on earth who can know and fully understand and fully grasp that I am suffering. A dog and a cat can't do that. And yes, so every creature can undergo physical suffering, but human beings are the only creatures that can undergo moral suffering. That's seeing that there's a lack of a spiritual good when there should be one. Think about the injustices we see in the world, a lack of right order or a lack of charity. Only human beings are the ones who can see this and experience suffering over it. A dog and a cat can't understand the nuances of the injustices of the world and weep and mourn over it. Only human beings can. And so it's part of the reason why as human beings we would much rather undergo physical pain to avoid some type of moral suffering. So moral suffering is a greater suffering than even physical suffering. Human beings are the only creatures that can experience this. And we also know that suffering only came about as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve. It was one of the consequences of original sin. And so not just the world had to be redeemed, but suffering itself had to be redeemed and transformed by Jesus Christ. So think about what suffering was like in the Old Testament. There were three elements, if you will, to suffering. It was to restore justice due to the punishment of sin. It was to lead sinners to conversion. And it was meant to put the just man, if you will, to trial and lead him to greater sanctity. Think about the person of Job. And all throughout Christ's life, he sought to redeem suffering and to make it, if you will, give new meaning to those three elements of suffering. So restoring justice to the sinner. Think about how Christ's suffering atones for all of our sins or leading sinners to conversion. So we're not just atoned, we're able to truly convert and have new hearts or trying the just man and leading him to a greater sanctity. Jesus' merits that he received on the cross, going through that suffering, gave him the greatest sanctity that could ever possibly be imagined. So all throughout his ministry, Christ gave new meaning to suffering and showed us that suffering is a privileged path to follow Christ. Suffering allows us, as we heard in our second reading, to offer our bodies as spiritual worship, an offering that is pleasing to Almighty God, to transform something that is purely negative and something that we try to avoid into something that should be embraced whenever it might come into our lives. And we can embrace it as a way to follow Christ. Because later on in this gospel, Jesus says, whoever wishes to come after me must take up his cross. Suffering is essential to discipleship. Following Christ is equated with suffering in today's gospel. So Christ can't just save the world only through suffering. There is no other way for us to follow him other than suffering. Now, it's also very tempting, though, to think that we can follow Christ without suffering. That's the whole message of that prosperity gospel that we hear so often in our world. Just don't think about sin. Don't think about suffering. It's all good. All good. Well, we need to call that out for what it is. We need to say, get behind me, Satan, whenever this might happen, because that is Satan telling us, God forbid anything bad should ever happen to you. Just avoid suffering. It, it's bad. Just avoid it. No. Suffering is a path to follow Christ. Suffering makes us holy, it makes us better Christians, makes us better followers of Jesus. And even as an aside, if we preach a gospel that ignores suffering, we're not going to know how to react to suffering when it shows up at our front door. So brothers and sisters, we can only be saved 
through suffering. There's a lot of truth to that. Christ's suffering gave us redemption and then it gave us life, but also allowed us to enter heaven. So let's pray today that we can follow Christ in all things, in the goods, in the virtues, and in all the holiness, but also through suffering, because that is part of our vocation as Christians. And like so many who have gone before us, may we lose our lives for the sake of finding Christ and find life eternal in heaven.